0: Tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Mac. What's your name? Mama Rita. Mama they Rita. Call me
1: Mama Rita. Well, I was just on my way back from Sydney, and I was singing along to that your catchy tune, and as I, I was looking to the left. It says, pull in at Macca's at Guys And I just had a bit of a cackle.
0: Where are you driving to and from?
1: Yeah, going to Leeton, and good old Leeds. You were at Narendra at one stage. I went and seen you in the park that time.
0: Wasn't that a nice morning? It was a lovely morning. Yeah, beautiful. I think, as I recall, beautiful morning. Lovely people. People sitting there reading the paper and the dogs and kids. and It was lovely.
1: Yeah, yeah. As country people, we're all uh, friendly. <laughs> I got to discover you because my father, every Sunday morning, has his radio. Hello, Michael Valentine. He's probably, listening. He probably probably
0: is, Mama Rita. (laughs)
1: He probably is getting a bit of a shock. (laughs) And now, I just want to uh, give a bit of a shout-out. I have two sons that are farm boys that have left Leeton and moved to Sydney Uh with their careers. They're YouTubers and Instagrammers and influencers. And I've got one son, he's 22, and he's doing a marvellous job. He goes around the CBD in Sydney, and he's feeding all the homeless people.
0: Good on him. What's his name?
1: His name is Andre Joe Gomez. And it took farm boys to go to Sydney to to help change the lives of so many people. And then I've got another son, Fonzie Gomez, who is an uh, actor, an influencer, and a YouTuber. And he has remarkably saved the lives of so many suicidal
0: young people. Mama Rita, I've got to fly. Yeah,
1: come to
0: Leeton, all... right, and look us up. Good on you, Doss. Fly.
1: Okay, got a cracker.
0: They tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Macca. They all call it Sunday with
2: Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca.
0: Get on with it, Mecca. I will dig. That uh, was Mama, Mama Rita. Wasn't she nice in talking about influencers and Instagrammers? You're probably one of those, an influencer and an Instagrammer. Just if you you missed it because you didn't hear it, um, Liverpool have beaten Tottenham 2-0, uh, unfortunately, because I'm a Tottenham person. But there you go. That was in Madrid, in Madrid, Spain. 2-0 uh, to Liverpool. Go the mighty Reds. Uh, good morning and welcome on the program this morning, uh, Climbing the Rock in a Minute. Um, and as well as that, um, more from Billy, Billy Field, and, uh, and from you, of course. Our number's 1300 700 We were talking last week about... Um, we had a couple of calls, didn't we, Kel? About Sir Hubert Wilkins, and, uh, and we talked about Chris Nash's... Uh, Simon Nash's book, sorry, um, uh, The Great Explorer... Peter Birch says the roller uh, that was on Deception Island was the last remaining object relating to Sir Hubert Wilkins' flight from Deception Island. Sir Hubert Wilkins, was a he was a pistol. Not only was he an explorer, he did all sorts of things. Listen to this. The runway that he used was changed, and I believe there's a hangar in the middle of the old runway. Not only did he fly and explore and submarines, all sorts of things. One of the interesting stories, says Peter Birch, which... I'll relate as best possible. Was when he was managing the flights for Lincoln Ellsworth, the American explorer, I believe in the 30s. He discovered that Lincoln was throwing US flags out of the window of the plane as he flew around and explored the Antarctic. This enraged Sir Hubert, who subsequently gathered the only Australiana he could find, which was some old magazines, and flew out over the Antarctic dropping out Australian magazines. These were the days when claiming territory was all about saying you'd been there or had a presence there. The Luftwaffe Luftwaffe, flew a reconnaissance flight over the Antarctic around 1938 and dropped darts with swastikas attached so that they could return after the war and claim the Antarctic, says Peter Birch. Now, there was another wonderful, wonderful piece about washing machines and Sir Hubert Wilkins, which I'll bring to you a little later. Anyway, we were also talking about interest rates. Well, I was talking about interest rates. Um, and this is from Lee, Lee Harkness, who I went to uni with. I didn't know him at uni. We did economics, but uh, he was the one that studied hard. I was the one that was was at the back talking to the girls. Um, dear Ian, last week you said <laughs> you were talking about interest rates. You said you were interested. I wasn't interested in interest. I was just think it's interesting that, yeah... There's not a lot of information about what happens when you drop interest rates to nothing. Interest rates apply to money, the money we owe and the money we own. We use money to buy things and sell things, says Lee. If the economy is to grow, we'll need more money so we can buy more things. There are three ways we can get more money into the economy. Earn more money from exports, receive more money from foreign investment, and borrow more money from the banks. That's the three way we get more money, three ways we get more money into the economy. Easy. We also lose money from the economy when we spend money on imports, invest money overseas, and repay outstanding bank loans. If the total amount of money in the economy is to increase, then there must be more money coming in than going out. We have a policy to make sure that the amount of money coming into Australia from overseas equals the amount of money going out. Therefore, exports and foreign investment cannot increase the amount of money in our economy. The only source of additional money for us is to increase bank lending. Total bank lending can only grow if our new borrowing is greater than our repayments on existing loans. Are you with me? It's a sobering thought. This is where interest rates come in, says Lee. Lower interest rates encourage us to borrow more but they also enable us to repay our existing loans faster. Interest rate policy assumes that lower interest rates will increase new borrowing more than it will increase loan repayments. That's what interest rate policy does, it assumes. But we always assume lots in economics because that's what you do, you assume. Yeah. Like in life, you assume improvement, don't you, Kel? Um, But there's always a risk that it will have the opposite effect. In that case, lower interest rates will reduce the amount of money in the economy and cause a recession. So using interest rates to control the amount of money in the economy is not necessarily the most effective way to do so. Also, interest rates affect other things, such as exchange rates and retirement incomes. Furthermore, raising... Uh, raising our borrowings from the banks inflates house prices, increases imports, and escalates both domestic and foreign debt. Applying interest rate policy can be like trying to use an axe to cut your toenails, says Lee. Best wishes. Thank you, Lee, for enlightening us. And quickly from Warwick, he says, uh, "Good day, Macro. I was listening to your comments about Tambo this morning. I wanted to tell you about Miranda. It's a tiny village with a pub, a few houses, and the Paradise Palladium Opera House, Kill." The par- Doesn't that sound wonderful? The product of an enterprising publican and an enthusiastic small community at Marunda. Last night we were treated, this is last week, we were treated to a co-production of Don Giovanni, and it was magnificent, magnifical, Don Giovanni. Have you ever seen Don Giovanni, Johnny? No. Do you know Don Giovanni? No. Um, we had a lovely supper and enjoyed conviviality of this little community. Don't you never hear that word used anymore? Do you? I think we should encourage the use of words we never use anymore. Uh, so you could do worse than visit Moranderean with your band after your Tambo season is completed. Are we doing a season in Tambo? Doesn't that sound nice? The season in Tambo. Just what? A couple of weeks in Tambo. You'd love that, John. You'd love that. Mick's on the line. Mick, uh, where are you?
3: Hey, I'm in. Uh, Chris O'Brien Lifehouse at uh, Camperdown in Sydney, yeah, the Cancer centre.
0: all right, tell me
3: I oh, just just it a bit mate got diagnosed prostate cancer a couple of months ago and had the prostate out on Friday and just gone down there yeah, and
0: little how little are you, stuff how are you travelling
3: oh, all right mate
0: yeah it's been yeah. been tough, isn't it tough?
3: It is tough, mate, it's just the I've always said. It's not cancer that kills you. It's fine out you got it. <laughs> you know, so now I'm living the dream.
0: Yeah. yeah
1: I, I
3: right. hate it when I'm right, mate. <laughs> but um, listen, I, I come from Bargo originally, and um, I live in Bargo. Mm. And I've always, always listened to your show. The last few years I've got onto it, and I love it. And uh, I've got a young family. My boy, he's got a property down at Wendellamar, set up.
0: Wendellamar. Yeah, yeah, down,
3: down near Bungonia
0: there. Yeah, I've heard of it. You yeah, have not little, not been 30 there. Thirty
3: acres. Yeah, nice little place. Him and his, him and his girl, and I've got a little grandbaby.
0: Uh huh. So, so it's nice. So the you're in. It's the called the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse, and it's in Sydney. Yeah. And where where was your operation at? Um, here. Al- Sorry. No, here, here. Oh, at the at the. Yeah, um...
3: it's it's a big cancer centre that Chris O'Brien set up just uh, before he died. Uh huh. Yeah, he's um, it's across from RPA there and it's dedicated as, as far as I can see purely for um, cancer
4: uh-huh.
3: and dealing with all the all the different types and the effects and the, you know all the dramas that go with it
4: yeah.
2: the only
3: thing I'd, I'd wanted to point out Macca is that, you know, I'm 57 I've got the The finances to do it it's cost me 30 grand so far to get to here uh-huh. um, to get it done straight away because I've got a i have got a special surgeon and all that, but you know, if you if you have to go on the wait list, mate, like I said, it's um, now you got it in, you and you, you just got to wait. So, is,
0: is there a, is there quite a waiting list? Is there for prostate? Six, to... six months, I was told. Six months.
3: Like unless you get unless you get hauled in and you you know, they didn't find it and you're going to die, that's when you get treatment. Wow. So it's um yeah it's you know the journey's. Difficult. Like there's a lot of people worse off than me. My brother died a couple of years ago of bowel cancer, and I'm pretty sure I didn't. I didn't see him when it happened, but I'm pretty sure he probably switched off because he couldn't afford it. So you know, who knows? Yeah, who knows? So, like I said, I'm just seeing what I see and people around me now. And
0: is there many many people in in this uh, the life house there with you, uh, Mick?
3: Yeah, well, it's packed. You know, I'm staying here. They can sleep in the ward. I'm in, I think, 26, they said, and it's full. Yeah. They had 10 operations yesterday and probably more than that the day before. Uh, it's too, yeah, it's too common,
0: mate. I'll say it's a wake-up call too. Mick, bloody You, good, you good luck, mate. And I'm glad you started listening, even if you only started listening three years ago. I've been here forever.
3: I know, I know. I'm here, I'm hearing that and someone put me onto it and I thought, what the bloody hell? I wished I'd, wished I'd heard it, you know. Because I had a little property down at down Taralga at I used to go to, I just sold it. And um, yeah, we used to, used to listen to footy and that on a Sunday, but if I'd have got up earlier, well, probably I could have stayed up because we used to party a bit. <laughs> so, you know, I'm probably paying
0: for my sins, Macca. <laughs> uh, you will be right. Good on you, Mick. Uh, good luck, mate, and keep in touch, okay? Good on you. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. See ya. Bye. Bye. G'day, this is Macker.
4: G'day, Macca, it's Anne calling, the lady just
0: back from uh, the London Marathon. Oh, Anne, yes, how are you? How did it all go, ladies and gentlemen? This is Anne who goes training in the in the park every, uh, well, every Sunday. And uh, and it's she went off now. to, and she rang, um, oh, months ago, a couple of months ago, and you were off to the London Marathon. How did all that go? I thought you might ring us, Anne.
4: Um, from from the marathon?
0: Well, yeah, something like I that. Thought, I,
4: did, I did think about it, but it was pretty crowded out there, Macca. Yeah. It was an epic experience, amazing experience. Tell me. Um, like you, you're running, you're one of 44,000 runners, 44,000 in 26 miles, makes for a pretty congested porch. I'll say. You're moving like a mob of sardines without the discipline. of You know, you see a school of fish and they all, or a flock of birds and they all turn. Yeah. In, like on clockwork. Yeah. Well I can tell you when you're the back of the pack like I was, with a mob of inexperienced charity runners around you, they don't behave like that. <laughs> they don't have a clue about race etiquette. <laughs> so you're jammed in and you're ducking and weaving and prepared for people to stop suddenly in front of you. Impossible to get any rhythm. But the funniest thing happened. I thought, well the start will be like this but by the time I get to 15K, things will smooth out a bit and people will get into their own pace groups. Uh-huh. Um, so I got to 15K, and it was still as bad. And somebody stopped in front of me. So I said at the top of my voice, and I apologize to all the people in church and Christians out there, I said at the top of my voice, Jesus Christ! And then, you won't believe this, coming up on my right hand was a barefooted runner, long hair, dressed as Jesus Christ, with an inflatable cross on his shoulder. <laughs> and, and I was so shocked. and I, I immediately crossed and said, oh, Lord, Lord, sorry, I didn't mean to take your name in vain. And he was plugged into music. He was running for world peace. I don't think he heard what I was saying. But it was the funniest thing, and I started to laugh. And then I thought, right, OK, this is the London Marathon. Just suck it up. It's going to be hard, and it was. But it was epic. You'd Like, you're running, you start out at Greenwich... And then you run into, you run, run in along the Thames, cross over the Thames on Tower Bridge, run up towards Houses of Parliament, round down that part of London and then round the corner of Buckingham Palace. Queen wasn't there. She was off on a holiday somewhere. But you turn the corner and you finish just in front of the palace. And it was crazy. I mean, it's like you're running through living history. It's like it's sort of everything. You forget how much of, you know, England is a part of not just our story, but stories all over the world. I'll say. And when when you're running out there and pushing yourself to your extreme, your mind gets a bit over-aware of things, I think, and uh, it just all comes flooding in, you know, all the stories, all the culture, all the history, and that's what made it the most amazing, amazing experience. Overwhelming, actually.
0: I'm Um, talking to Anne. Anne's running. Anne rang uh, a couple of months ago, ladies and gentlemen. She was... uh running she's running in sydney in centennial park and she's training she's 70 odd and 73 73. all right i didn't want to say that but 73 and she's only recently started running really and um uh later in life and uh Headed to the London Marathon, and that was a story. Uh, how was things in How long did you stay in London? I mean, things seem almost chaotic in London, but then if, if you look at Europe, they're even more chaotic. But then if you look around the world, the whole joints, um, yeah, I think we all ought to go running in and forget about it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was chaotic. I mean, uh, most of my friends were not Brexiteers, um, and they were pretty upset about what was going on. Mm. And uh, it, was almost, it was almost a taboo subject. You know, didn't want, friends didn't want to really talk about it very much. Um, but, uh, gee, you know, London's got a lot to recommend it. And some of the immigrant populations or the, the, that have come in from other countries have done extraordinary things for the economy and that's broadened out the culture. And as you know, the Brits are famous for their tolerance and their acceptance. That's not true of all of them, of course. But yes, now it's a divided country. It's a very divided country. But look, there's one thing. While I was, while I, when I came back, didn't call you because I had to turn around and go straight out to Alice Springs, um, where I'm getting up an opera on Olive Pink, the woman that founded the botanical garden the, yeah, there. Yeah,
0: the, yeah, you're right. Yep.
4: Yep, yep. And so this time last Sunday, I was running out from Grave to Simpsons Gap along a bike path. And the Aboriginal Film Media Company out there have decided to make a documentary on the making of this opera. So they were filming me. So I had this little drone thing every now and then buzzing me. Gosh, they're noisy. And, um, And then a cameraman on a bike trekking along sometimes getting ahead of me and stopping all that stuff. So it wasn't the most spiritual of runs, but it was a lot of fun. So I thought, oh my gosh, you know, just three weeks previously, these shoes were running in London. Now they're out here in the centre of Australia, running along the Larapinta, parallel to Larapinta. It was
0: terrific. Anne, you're terrific um, and inspirational. Look, uh, we'll have to get together for a coffee one day. I'll keep in touch and we can catch up, okay? Uh, but, um, okay, mate. Look forward to that. It's, uh, it's great to talk to you this morning.
4: It's
0: good to be home and listening to you again. Good on you, Anne.
4: Thanks well, a
0: lot, mate. Nice to talk to you. Bye. Bye. I always wondered what it would be like to write a big hit like Billy Field. Well, he had several hits, but uh, this was a big one. And the difference it made to his life, well, come and meet Billy. When I asked a question about what sort of a difference did it make to your life, you did a lot of touring on the yeah, strength of Bad yeah, Habits.
5: And- yeah, and it was good. I actually, I, I made quite a lot of money. Couldn't pay the tax, but <laughs> I managed, managed to get through all that. Spent a lot of time in Europe, and I went to America, and I didn't have much success, but I had a, had a little bit of work, a bit of success, went on TV shows and things like that. <laughs> all pretty silly, you know. But
0: and it's amazing, yeah. isn't it, when you think of that song? Lovely jazz-based, up-tempo, <clears throat> upbeat, yeah, happy
5: song, isn't it? It's funny, you know, like almost like all the great songs you tend to write in five minutes, and it was one of those sort of five-minute songs. You just sort of throw it away, you know. <laughs> But, you yeah, know, they come and, to you.
0: And the other thing is, as you say, when you met yeah, Bill, Bill. Bill did and, the
5: arrangement, yeah, and, exactly. And, and also the incredible Julian Lee, who's a genius as well. He wrote a lot. Most of the Bad Habits album, Julian Lee did the arrangements for, and Bill Motsing did a few. The songs aren't badly written songs, but I didn't have the skills to produce that sort of stuff. I would probably do a little bit now, but I don't want to do it now. I just want to play, in the, play rock and roll. I'm having a good time playing, you know, dragon. Man, doesn't he sing it? That is so fantastic. He's he's such a great singer, Mark Hunter.
0: Some years after, I got an album of yours, and I can't even remember the name. Was it Western
5: Light? Was it? Yeah, that's it was right. a, yeah. and I did another one just prior to that with Larry Mahubrack. We were just talking about Larry Mahubrack, who's an American piano player called Rock and Roll Memories, which is just all my own interpretations of old Little Richard and classic rock and roll hits. Yeah, Western Lights was nice. I like that album, yeah.
0: I thought Billy's going back to his roots here because it was... Yeah,
5: it was pretty well inspired by the Riverina.
0: So, Billy, do you do a lot of playing now? Because many of my musical mates say it's hard to find work. I mean, it's it's Mm. a different time Mm. now, isn't it? When we were growing up, there was music in the club, there was music in the restaurant, there was music in the hotels, there was music everywhere.
5: Well, luckily I get a bit of work. i played quite a lot of piano bar over the years, prior to Bad Habits. That was my big break actually, that when I left school I was studying economics for a while. All, all I knew is that I just didn't... teach I, a parent to I, say supply I, and demand, and you've got an economist. That's yeah, all my, yeah. that's, that's, you're that's, you're not kidding. I was thinking I just don't believe all this stuff. You know, It's just <laughs> absolutely. You know. Anyway, I wasn't very. I'm never been much of a student because I'm more fascinated by looking and learning, observation. You know, your eyes tell you the truth. You know, that doesn't come out of textbooks at the university. Well, in in the in the humanities at least. Anyway, so I uh, got a job playing piano bar up in Numia, New Caledonia. And I played up there for months and months and months. I came back and then I got a job playing piano bar at the Golden Chief Hotel and then the clubs all around town, they had piano bars. So, you know, I'd play solo or, or I had a guitar guy play at, who was terrific, he was singing harmonies and everything like that, who became a property developer, he's got vast amounts of money. He still he plays. He still plays the guitar, yeah. <laughs> Talk about all about the money, my God. Anyway, at the end of the day, uh, then basically, then I was still writing songs all the time, you know, maybe rock songs, and then I decided to write that s- swing album, you know.
0: Why was it that jazz struck a chord with you, do you think? Well,
5: be- well of course... I've- Frank and lewis and the jazz greats. I was lucky. My father loved Louis Armstrong and Frank Sinatra, and so I heard a lot of those records in um, his car and and the house. He used to sit up till you know all hours, <laughs> wee small hours, in the morning, drinking scotch whiskey and listening to Frank Sinatra, <laughs> crying. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know Frank is to me is still the, the he's the ultimate pop singer, and he's also kind of the ultimate jazz singer.
0: You're up here on the central coast of New South Wales. I love Wales. it.
5: It's paradise. It's it's the new Double Bay. I'm not kidding. It's fabulous.
0: Why did you? You were in you were in the heart <clears throat> of Sydney, weren't you?
5: Yeah, I I did live in um, Paddington, and uh, and then when I, when I got divorced, I moved into my office. You know, I was too embarrassed to tell my friends. <laughs> I didn't, couldn't afford them anywhere to live. You know, so. So I was living there for about... And then I thought, after a while, it's not bad. I like it. So I got to got build around and knocked a few walls out. <laughs> yeah, so, but I, I loved it. And I ended up staying there for about 15 years. And then when the water rates cost more than I had money in the bank, I, I came to Gosford. I'm a financial refugee. I absolutely love it. Every cloud has a silver lining. From my front door, I drive, I've, I've got a huge big studio here. I can make as much noise as I like 24-7. I've got doctors all around me. That's handy. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, he's a surgeon. He's a serious surgeon. The next guy a, they're not there at night, so I can make noise all night and I love it. I mm. put the PA on, I rock away.
0: I spoke <clears> some <throat> years ago to Harry Vander from the Easy Beats oh, wow. uh, about all sorts of things, and he said about songwriting, he said, I think you've got about a 10 or maybe a 15 year window of opportunity to write songs and, and then after that your songs are sort of irrelevant to a new generation of kids and things like that what are your thoughts you've been writing oh, songs forever
5: never there's such wisdom and insight in songs it's just it's kind of poetry and very moving and I the mean hearted... I, I cry when I think I burst into tears I, I mean I burst into tears when the postman smiles at me you know, <laughs> I'm just completely overawed with our shared humanity how beautiful people are I've travelled Lots over the years. I've travelled, you know, over a lot of the world. Everywhere I go, even Morocco and Southern Spain and Algeria and and all Turkey, and people are just so nice and friendly and helpful and kind. And they'll say, you know, have some food with us. And right down the, the bottom of Morocco, you know, and these incredibly humble people. I mean, they're still riding. You know, this is, this is economics for you. You know, you've you've got Southern Spain, which is one of the most technologically advanced places in the world. It's like up with America and northern Italy or whatever. And the bridges and the engineering and what they... It's sublimely And you can chuck a rock over to Africa, to Morocco, and they're just driving around on donkey carts. And that's all because of economics and control of trade. And that's something that I've been very, very interested in ever since I was a student, you know, is, is with regard to global development. I'm a great believer in global development. So, and that, ha- that can only come about through better government and trade relations, you know, that, that will lift up the poor people in the world.
0: So you're still writing songs about all sorts of things, smiling when the postman comes. Um, yeah, yeah, And generally enjoying yeah. life, Bill.
5: Yeah, like the last song I've just written here is called The Dog's Life Blues. <laughs> It's very funny, you're actually. You want to play a spasm on the piano? Come on, play a spasm. That's not it, because I need my glasses. That's, yeah, well, I've that's got actually, glasses. No, 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 honestly, look, I'd love to play, but I don't think I'm kind of up to the pitch at the moment.
0: Billy Field, it's been great to talk to you, mate. Good luck. Thank
5: you, man. I'm, I'm having a ball. Thanks for having me on the program. Really nice. You want to get on the road again, Bill? On the road oh, I again. love it. I can't get enough. Well, I'm available for parties. just um,
0: Weddings, it. parties, and anything.
5: That's right. No, no. Truly, I, I love it. all. I, uh, jazz, rock and roll, boogie woogie, funk.
0: I love it. As
5: long as there's a beer in it.
0: Billy Phil, thanks very much. Good on you, mate.
5: Love you. Thanks, Mega.
0: Lee's in Cookerin. Is that right? Uh, pron- pronunciation, Lee.
3: Uh, Cookerin.
0: Yeah. There you go. In the great that- Southern WA. Great Southern WA. Um, consult your maps, ladies and gentlemen, if you need more information. What's happening, Lee?
2: Uh, not much at the moment, it's Sunday morning, just haven't been to church yet.
0: <laughs> well, that's all right. And um, what do you do, Lee? You?
2: I uh, chop firewood. Oh, do you? Yeah.
0: Gee, are you busy?
2: Oh, flat out, this time of year.
0: Is it, it's cold over there? Freezing down here. Yeah. Um,
2: so I don't know what degrees it is exactly, but there's uh, ice on everything. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, we had a call last week from uh, was it last week, the week before? What was his name, Kel? It was um, um, um I can't remember, but he was uh, he was down your way, and he said the reason was because the Indian Ocean apparently is as cold as it's been for a long while. Yeah, right. That's what he said. Cold, oh. cold weather and and lovely autumn um, autumn colours around the place.
2: Oh, I hope it's good for the crops.
0: Well, it will be if you get rain, I suppose, mate. But um, yeah. The frost won't be. So, uh, you, um, when you say you chop firewood, do you do that by hand or have you got a machine or what's the story?
2: No, we use a chainsaw. Oh, yeah? And an axe and split it up.
0: Yeah, so the hand. Because yeah. I know you can split logs with uh, machines, can't you? you? Put them in and uh, splits them up and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I saw one of them advertised in the paper the other day. Actually, looked at it longingly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you're flat out. How. how uh, how many hours do you chop a day, Lee? Uh,
2: varies, it's depending on uh, how I'm feeling. I'm a bit long in the tooth for it, actually. I'm trying to give it away.
0: Yeah, you've got to know the grain, haven't you? Because uh, you can hit a, a log and uh, split it beautifully, or you can hit a log and, the, and your axe just bounces back at you.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a technique like to everything, I suppose.
0: Yeah. yeah. W- well, you should be pretty good at it. How long have you been doing this?
2: Well, it should be, but it's getting harder as the years
0: go on. Why is that? Just well, I
2: think it's because I'm getting older.
0: Yeah, I suppose yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. And what sort of wood, uh, Lee? You're in the west, obviously. What sort of wood do you cut over there?
2: Yeah, I I go uh, west towards Perth to get it and get it a bit closer to Perth on the Darling Scarp.
0: But what sort of wood is it?
2: Jarrah, Jarrah.
0: Jarrah. Yeah. So that's good burning wood, eh?
2: Ah, oh, beautiful. Burn, burns to clean ash. Don't, don't have to clean your fireplace out.
0: There you go. And then you can put that ash on your um, citrus trees. Well, I do that, and they seem to seem to thrive on it.
2: Yeah, anything in the garden likes a bit of stuff out of the fireplace.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, you're up early in the morning. Uh, you get your what you you drive to Perth and get your wood. Do you? Or... Yep, yep. And then uh, and how much does wood sell for? A what is it sold by the? Um...
2: Oh, I just sell it by the Ute and the trailer full. Mm. Yeah. I can get uh, $150 for a ute load of it.
0: And how much is a ute load?
2: What... Yeah, uh, I'll be close to a ton.
0: A ton? Yeah, yeah there you I'll go. Be
2: close to a ton. I haven't, I haven't measured it. Yeah. The poor old tow bars always dragging on the ground, so it must be a fair bit in there. it. <laughs>
0: All right, I'll have to I'll have to get a load over here. you probably won't get a jarrah over here, but I'll have to get a load one time and put it in a fireplace. And I sometimes oh. have a fire, as we were talking about earlier this morning. There's nothing nicer than sitting in a darkened room and just looking and and just pondering the fire as you look at it. it's a beautiful thing. Yeah,
2: it's a good bush TV, the old fire.
0: Yes, exactly. Good, isn't that great? Good Don't on you, Lee. Yet.
2: Don't know about delivering a load over there though, Mac, I'll do
0: free delivery. No, in, no, no, was no, 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 I, d- I wasn't <laughs> asking you to do that, no. Sometime I'll get some. Okay, good on you, Lee. Okay, can
2: I send a
0: birthday cheer? Uh, who's it for? To my girlfriend, Tracy in Perth. Is she, it's her birthday today, is it? Yep. Oh, there you go, good on you, Trace, all right, yeah, no, no not a problem. Good on you. I won't ask how old Trace is, Lee, uh, because you'd never ask a woman at her age or, no, or, a, or a bloke either, really. No,
2: good on you.
0: Thanks, Lee. See you. See you, mate.
2: G'day, Mac. Peter Joseph from the uh, Black Dog Institute.
0: Oh, g'day, Pete. How are you?
2: Very well, mate. Uh, I'm just back back from Cairns
0: uh-huh.
2: and, and uh, went up there for a, uh, a fundraising dinner for Black Dog put on by... A group of 50 uh, riders, part of uh, tour across Oz run by uh, a fella called Neil Jackson. And the, as we speak, they're uh, on the old telegraph uh, track uh, riding push bikes 650k from Cairns at the tip of Cape York.
0: Wow, wow! Yeah.
2: And they raised uh, a lot of money for uh, Black Dog. Um, they're running a bit of a trial on themselves with. Uh, Dr. Simon Rosenbaum, who's a Black Dog Fellow. Mm. Um, um, we're based, as you know, at the University of New South Wales, but uh, this, this, uh, these resources will go into uh, suicide prevention trials and uh, Black Dog's running trials and advising on trials across the uh, country.
0: peter uh, it, it seems to me that... Um, I mean, it's it's epidemic, isn't it? Um, it's epidemic, and uh, it so shows no sign of of slackening. I don't know uh, if it's the pace of the world we live in or the pressure. We we're just talking about pressure on young footballers to win all the time, and yeah. you know, um, everywhere you go in life. Um, I don't know, Pete. You've got personal experience with with all of this, but look, I don't know how how is it going. Do you know how it's going? How is are we making not we not me, but are we making a difference? Do you think?
2: Well, slowly, but it was uh, as President Obama said about only about five years ago. He said, "Here we are exploring outer space and doing terrific things." And he said, uh, "We've never really explored inner space, and we need to do so mm. uh, we We have learned more about the uh, living brain in the last thirty years than all of human history uh, and and Black Dog, which is one of only two medical research institutes um, in this space in the, uh, in the country, is doing fantastic work on the what and the how to." help people without necessarily understanding why it's occurring in the first place.
0: Mm, um, and maybe, look, I, I think there's a lot of pressure, extra pressure on people these days. I don't know why. It, we, you know, you hark back to the old days when you could sit in front of the fire and times were simpler, Peter, weren't they? Um, I, I don't know. You can't go back. You can't change things. But times seem to be simpler, less pressure. Um, and, uh, yeah uh, that has an effect on people. I'm quite sure. Young young people, particularly.
2: There's, there's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. And uh, I've got to say, just listening uh, to what you just said from uh, Neville, was it uh, yep. five years ago? Yep. Uh, a lot of this is a, is about social networks. It's about connection. And you, with your program, are very much part of the electricity uh, that keeps the country
0: steady and uh i just will let you mate <laughs> pete it's, uh thank you very much we'll have to get you haven't seen you for ages we'll have to get together mate we'll have to get together okay uh, that, to. that'd be nice and keep up the good work mate
2: yeah and a uh, big shout out uh, uh, to neil stefan <laughs> gary and the boys they'll be uh, hurting uh, up there uh, but having a lot of fun
0: good on you pete bye bye that's I'll tell
2: you why I
0: live where I live. From June Burkett. Now, you might remember June, you may not. The terrible floods of a couple of years ago around Mowillambar, Lismore, Crystal Creek. June made this lovely phone call to us about what had happened and the water and the sorts of things that happen when a terrible flood comes and you're inundated. June is, was at Crystal Creek and that's why she's writing to Why I Live Where I Live. She says, Dear Macca, leaving the dairy farm After 41 years. Well, we've known each other for a number of years, and I thought I didn't want to exit dairy farming without, in true Scottish style, you pipe me out. (laughs) That's lovely. We all know the state of dairying at this point, and after dairying for 41 years, I'm walking away, and my son is hoping he can possibly hang on a little longer. It's been a lifetime of hard work. Being of that generation, we were taught to work at early age, three and four. Now, much to my surprise, I've reached a comfortable age of 79 years. I'll never stop working, but it will be of a different nature. What will happen to Daring? I believe it will continue going as it is, farms dropping off like a game of chess until none remain on the board. And then the only winner is the big multinationals who get fat off the profits and the hard work of the farmers. Sad. Then prices not seen in Australia for all the dairy products, milk, cream, cheese, yoghurt, will appear as to the shortage of products and the people, that's you, will have to pay. Australia is a huge continent, far away from our neighbours, and cartage costs will be great. Enough said. Other than begging the people to buy branded milk, for example Norco, is not the answer. Farmers are not beggars. Please give them that respect and let the higher authorities break the $1 litre held by the multinationals as soon as possible. Daring has been the highlight of my years. Not born on a farm, husband and I borrowed and worked until we got our first farm at Coopernook and with our family made it a beautiful farm. We worked hard to free it of the loan. In 1998, the roads and traffic department took it away and we had to leave and relocate to the Tweed Valley and another big bank loan. Milk quotas were taken from us and more hard work, but being in a beautiful green valley, we're grateful for the beauty around to work in. My husband Neville, now passed away four years today, worked hard to his seventy-ninth and final year staying on his beloved farm. My son Bruce, also working to his 58th year, now one year past, both love to ride their motorbikes through the higher country to find carved cows, watch the ducks on the creek and river, move the fences and feel good about hard, constant work. I've hung up my dairy boots and moved a short way off farm, still in the area I love. Clouds creep over the ranges and hang in the valleys. Early mornings, ducks still fill the waterways. Cows still moo every morning, and late afternoon, green grass fills my old eyes, blotting out the nastiness and violence of the world around us. If all of us started to think of the land and animals, issues will disappear, as the future is anyway in the Creator's hands, not ours, thankfully. June Burkett, I love you, June. If you'd like to write to Wildliver, I live. I live It's Post Office Box 9994, Sydney, 2001. G'day, this is Maka.
1: It's Joel. I'm 11 years old and we're from Bilpin. We're in the Hay Plains and we stayed at Fink last... No, not Fink. We stayed at um, Hay last night and we're going to Fink to watch Tom Lewis ride.
0: Oh, right, the Fink Desert Race, which is on next weekend. Yeah. And who's Tom Lewis for everybody?
1: It's a person in Bilpin. He, a friend from Bilpin. All right. Dad lives in Bilpin.
0: And uh, he's uh, he's uh, raised. What's he in a car or a motorbike? He's on a motorbike. Uh, a motorbike. Okay. So the family's heading out to Fink. Are they? Yeah. So
1: when
0: and are you? When will you get there, Joel? Uh next weekend probably
1: the, Saturday afternoon.
0: And you've got the time off school, Joel. Aren't you lucky? Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll have a nice time out there and you'll be able to see uh, the... Uh, have you been out there before? No, going to... Sorry?
4: Going
0: to Uluru too. Uh, going to Uluru, good on you. And uh, have a look around there. The Fink Desirees, there'll be a lot of people out there, a lot of bikes, a lot of dust. You'll, en- yeah. you'll enjoy it, Joel. I will. Okay, stay safe. Nice to talk to you. Thanks, Michael. Good on you, mate. Hey. Bye. Listen, um, I'm going home to... I've got one midgeum berry left on my little bush. It's just fantastic. Every time I go past, I pick these little... They're tiny, like a little bead, and they're white, but they've got like a little speckled hen, like a little brown dots all over them. And they taste a bit like aniseed. They're beautiful. And... Janice Kirsch made an upside-down cake and put some on it. But listen, enough of that. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.